Welcome to episode three of our discussion of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I'm Pastor Michael Zarling, the author of the book. And I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen, who is the editor of the book. Uh, although, Peter, I don't want to blame you as the editor or me <laughs> as the as the author, but I already found one mistake on, on page 10 of, it says Martin Lutheran, but... Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of editing where um, I was working on it like late night after, after the kids got to bed and I'm like, Oh, I could have gone back and edited that part again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny is you, we're not very good editors of our own materials oftentimes. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but what I wanted to begin talking about today is on page nine, I asked the question, in our American system, may a Christian peacefully disobey? So we're going to talk about that over the next 30, 40 minutes. And I found this quote in the Lutheran Confessions, but it was also a, a point that was made in another paper on civil government and how we as Christians deal with it. This is from the opening of Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession on Civil Affairs. It states, of civil affairs, they teach that lawful civil ordinances are good works of God and that, and it continues. But the question I have for you, Peter, is the framers of our Augsburg Confession, when they say lawful civil ordinances and that we are to comply with them, what might that be implying also? I think there's, um, it definitely implies that there is an unlawful unlawfulness that is possible either in unlawful order such as you know in order to take your neighbor's money and possessions um in order to to steal from them um unlawful as in it goes against god's moral law um there's also the idea of an unlawful order according to the laws of the land where that person does not have the authority to do what they are trying to compel people to do I think those are the two main things that come to mind. Right. And that's kind of what I was getting at, too, in that, yeah, there are going to be some instances that we are told to do something, and it's just not wrong. It's not, not right. It's kind of like you and I might teach in our catechism class that we are to obey our parents and others in authority according to the fourth commandment. And yet, what happens if your parent tells you, you know, tell them, you know, tell the ticket takers at the movie theater that you're, you know, six or whatever it is, you get a cheaper rate, you know, and then you say, no, I'm not going to do that, dad, because that's not lawful. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that there's, there's more to this than just, um, just the letter of the law and that we as Christians have the responsibility to Yes, what the law is, as well as as well as the higher law of God's uh, God's moral law. So, one of my favorite illustrations that I have in the book is uh, on page uh, on page twelve, where it talks about Jim's gym, and where Jim is told to lock down his exercise center, like so many places were during COVID, and he refuses to do so. And uh, so I, I challenge people then in the book is, was Jim breaking the fourth commandment of honoring those in authority? And when we talk about there, we can talk about it here is, 
is he necessarily breaking the fourth commandment by keeping the gym open? What do you think, uh, Peter? That that is that is a very good question, and you know that you didn't name him, you know, Harold or Howard or or even James. James's Jim, um, Jim's Jim, just kind of sticks in the mind. And on the surface, it would be like, okay, they told me to close down everything else. Well, half of the other businesses are closed down. All the other small businesses are closing down for a month or two, and it looks like that would be the the best option. But that doesn't take into consideration the sort of decisions that this small business owner has to make and that he has a responsibility to, to those that he employs as well as to his family. And, um, and, and so basically, if the government is saying that you have to do this and it's going to mean that you will be, um, you'll lose all opportunity to earn a living for yourself because of this outside, outside mandate, that that gets into territory where does the government actually have the authority to do that? Is that a lawful order or is that something that is um, is outside of their bounds and outside of their lane? Right. And so what I talked uh, talk there about is it seems very simple that he's breaking the fourth commandment because he is not following the mandate of closure by the government. And yet perhaps he is also keeping the fourth commandment because uh, in the fourth commandment, as a father and a husband, he needs the he has the responsibility of taking care of his family. He can't do that if he's not making any money because his gym is closed. So Jim keeps his gym open to keep the fourth commandment. But also he keeps it open because he has responsibility to his his employees, the seventh, ninth, and tenth commandments. You know, they uh they can't, he can't allow the government to take money away from them by uh, basically not allowing them to work. And so he is allowing them to work to keep their means and their property and means of income, as Luther says in the explanation of the commandments. Uh, and so in doing that, he's actually keeping the command, other commandments, even though it may look like he's breaking the fourth commandment. Yeah, and, and I mean, together with that, um, you know, to push this example, this uh, illustration one step further, is that, you know, typically a gym works on a subscription basis. And so if somebody is paying for the subscription to be a member at that gym, that they can go work out, and then that gym now becomes unavailable um, to be able to or to continue receiving those membership dues without making the you know the product available is is stealing from them as well and we actually saw that in a from a governmental side where so many of the um, local libraries were closed for you know, a variety of reasons it was kind of frustrating for me because i had a couple overdue books and so I couldn't, um, I couldn't remedy the overdue because they were closed, but I also couldn't check things out online because they were closed um, and I had an overdue. So the, uh, the Brooklyn Public Library um, actually made their entire, their entire online catalog available for free to anybody in the nation. And the way that their library superintendent put it was that the, the citizens of New York have paid for this library and continue to pay for this library. And so we have a duty to provide these materials, even if it is you know, a somewhat you know, strange circumstance or emergency circumstance um, in our modern era. And so there's, there's that additional duty or that additional you know, duty to provide what you say you're gonna provide. 
Right. And, you know, just using that example of a gym, this will be much later. We talked about COVID, but we can touch on it here. Uh, one of the things that people were saying, and rightly so, that people were getting sick with COVID and dying from it is because they had their comorbidities because they were overweight, like most Americans are. And they're not going to the gym. Instead, they're sitting and watching Netflix and eating their Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, so now they're getting fatter and unhealthier because they're, and then COVID is going to have an even stronger effect on them, as opposed to going to the gym and working out, getting some sunlight on their way over there to the gym, uh, eating some bananas, you know, getting some vitamin C and vitamin D, all those things that are helpful uh, in fighting COVID. And yet we allowed our, so many people allowed the government just to shut all of that down and really then keep us and make us unhealthy. Yeah. That's, that's for a later discussion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, I, but, but I think what I, what I tried to bring out at least in, um, on the editing side was there in 13, um, but about a third of the way up from the bottom okay. that, that Jim, the Christian may keep his, keep his gym open with a clean conscience choosing the greater good of the casuistry foisted upon him. And this is, this is the, the big struggle. Do I submit to and obey the government that is telling me these, these things and they are above me, while I also have a responsibility to those who are below me, to those who depend on me? And, um, and so that's what this whole book is about, is basically a question of what we call casuistry, which is to say that there are two competing biblical um, truths here, and, and so often we say, well, let's just to choose the, the lesser of two evils. Um, but to turn around and say, well, let's choose the, the greater of two goods here. What is the greater of two goods? I can provide for my community. I can provide for my employees. I can provide for my family. Um, and the government can figure out their, their uh, administrative things later. Well, that, come, that brings to mind a little controversy that's come up in the last few weeks about a certain country music singer, singer with his uh, certain song about life in a small town. And uh, there, I just think of it because what you're talking about is we are responsible to that smaller community from the bottom up it starts with our family and then our neighborhood and our community, but we are allowing ourselves too much in America. And it's not the way it was designed to be top down. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be from the bottom up. And that's the way scripture speaks of it is that we have that responsibility toward those around us. Those are our neighbors. And we, we show our love to our neighbors in that way, whether it's, uh, you know, protecting those around us. Or I watched a video today, I think it was in Alabama, that if there's a tree that goes down across the road, these guys are just driving around in their pickup trucks and they've got chainsaws. So they, you know, in three, four minutes, They've cut down a tree. You do that instead of waiting for, you know, in a big city, no one has a chainsaw and they just uh, traffic is shut down forever while they wait for the city. They find out that it's there, come and take care of it and so forth. But in a small community, you just do, you just take care of your neighbors. Yeah. And, and I think that is, it's also part and parcel of why God says, you know, in the fourth commandment, he said, honor your father and mother. He didn't say, 
honor the God-given authority of the government that is above you, that he starts with that smallest unit because it's going to have the most impact. And that also shows us the area of responsibility, that even the responsibility of the government um, is best exercised when it is exercised responsibly within the home. Yeah. And there, I think we have too much care. I talk about this a lot in Bible studies. We care way too much about who is the president and who is elected to Congress and so forth. I don't think that's the way that our federal government was designed. We should not care what's going on in Washington, D.C., because they should not have that much influence over our personal lives. I always encourage our people, if you want to influence life, you need to go and run for school board, for your village president, uh, those kinds of things. That's what influences your community. And those are the things that uh, we need to be involved in, involved in and care a lot more about. And yet, how many of us do that? Uh, and I'm guilty of it, too. You know, I'll, I'll ask my wife or my neighbors right, uh, when we have a, an election, a local election for the village of Mount Pleasant. All right, who am I voting for? I have no idea what their policies are. And yet I know very well president, governor, judges and so forth. But. Uh, even I have allowed myself to be concerned with the top down and we need to be concerned with getting back from the bottom up. Yeah. And even taking that one step further on the church front, how many, um, how many people in the pew would be very willing to debate and discuss, you know, the merits of one candidate versus another of one policy versus another, or, or loudly, you know, advocate for their position. And that there's so much, there's so much strength and vehemence there. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to speaking up about Christian truth to our family or bringing somebody along to church where the responsibility is here, you know, on the individual and where I can make a tremendous impact in somebody's life, I also bear the brunt of the rejection, you know, um, whoever the president or the speaker of the house is doesn't care what, you know, some guy over in Ohio says about their policies. Um, but I care if I invite my, my friend to church and then they're like, oh, I'd like to come back again next week um, to, to take it the, the next step that the Christian is concerned about your immediate circle um, before anything else. And that applies both um, politically and also religiously. Uh, right below the paragraph you were quoting, uh, I quoted Jesus because He's always really good to quote. He says in Matthew 7, stop judging so that you will not be judged. Uh, you know, we, we hear even non-Christians use that phrase all the time. And, and yet, why, why I put it there is that uh, I think we were very quick to judge <clears throat> other people because they weren't doing something. They weren't wearing a mask. They weren't getting a vaccine. They were remaining open or whatever it was. And I'm really bringing this up now uh, as I'm discussing the book is uh, we are called to judge other people, their actions and so forth, not their motives. But uh, God also does say that uh, in the eighth commandment that we should uh, put the best construction on everything, take their words and actions in the kindest possible. We didn't, we weren't doing that in 2020 and beyond. And if there's anyone that we should take their words and actions uh, in the kindest possible way of, it should be our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
that we should trust their motives for not wearing a mask or wearing a mask, getting a shot, not getting a shot, whatever it is, we should trust them because uh, they are sinful, but they are also the baptized, blood-bought, and redeemed children of God. You know, so they have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of them, hopefully sanctifying their words and actions. So I'm going to trust them before I should be trusting some non-entity in a government somewhere. And, and I mean, it's the exact same thing that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 6, I think, talking about lawsuits among believers. Maybe it's a little bit later than that. Um, but that basically, here are these Christians, these believers who are going to, going to some outside authority for a judicial legal ruling on somebody else's liability. And on their Christian, their fellow Christians' liability. And so they're appealing to this outside authority, this governmental authority, rather than discussing and, um, and having the wisdom as Christians to look at this together. And, and I mean, in, in one sense, it is a little bit um, concerning that not just that we didn't do that, but to what degree do we still you know, hold this ability <laughs> to discuss thoughtfully about the merits and the drawbacks of different policies and and not to just stake out my position and throw on whatever colored jersey it is that I'm going to be wearing um, but rather to say you know what this is a difficult this is a difficult thing we can have some clarity on it we don't have to just muddle it up and say well nobody knows what to do I don't know what to do I don't know how this happened um, but at the same time we can say, you know, even looking at all the evidence, two Christians might come at opposite conclusions for their own personal actions, and that's okay. Yeah, and then the trust, trust that, exactly. Uh, switching gears a little bit, on page 17, uh, I talked about uh, giving to Caesar what only belongs to Caesar. Because there were three main things that I, I was pointing out in this first chapter. One is uh, on submission, and one is on the fourth commandment, and then this one on giving to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. There Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. What is the background of that first, Peter? Yeah. Um, in the the Pharisees and the um, the Herodians are trying to trap Jesus with you know during Holy Week actually, and they they say all right should we is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not, and and so if he says no then the Herodians have him and they could say all right this man is advocating for non-payment of taxes let's string him up, and if he says yes then the Pharisees can say he is he's advocating um, that we that we devote some of our money to this man who calls himself a God. And, um, and so he says, bring me a denarius. And when he says that, then he, they, they look at it and who's in, whose image is on it and whose inscription is on it. And so that's the rest of the context here, that the image is that of Caesar Augustus or whoever is Caesar Tiberius, um, if they've changed to that coin by that time. Um, it's the image of Caesar, and underneath is the inscription that he is, you know, Divus Augustus, um, the god Augustus. And so this image is a, you know, in the eyes of the Pharisees, especially a graven image of idolatry. And here is this Caesar Augustus who is claiming himself to be God. 
And so then when Jesus says, all right, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, um, I think what he's really doing is threading the needle between the two, that we do have this outside secular responsibility to pay our taxes, um, that we do have a responsibility to give to the king or to the Caesar or whoever it is, uh, the federal government, exactly what their due is. Um, on the other hand, that government does not have the right to your heart. And um, that Caesar Augustus does not have the right to name himself a god. Um, and this was, this was probably about two years before the crucifixion. So about two years before this happened. And Pontius Pilate wanted to try to flex a little bit of his, his authority. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think I'd have to look back at this. I haven't looked at this in a while. But what he tried to do was set up a bunch of shields inside the temple area. Um, shields that had that had Caesar's image on them, and the people rioted, and that may have been the context in which um, then he just sent in the Praetorian Guard from the Praetorium there at the edge of the Temple Mount to slaughter the Galileans. And so when Jesus had said, you know, Luke chapter 13, do you remember the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices? That might be the, the instance that they're talking about. Um, and so then, you know, it's still a hot topic and, and they're trying to catch Jesus in this. And Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's external things, give to God what is God's, your internal, uh, your heart, your responsibility, your fear, love and trust in God above all things. And yes, you paid the temple tax for the uh, upkeep and the maintenance of the temple. Great. Thanks for that background. And what I'm, what I'm getting at and bringing up here is, again, people would say, well, you just need to obey whatever the government says because of the fourth commandment, Romans 13 of submission and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But what I'm positing here is we give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but then the opposite is true. We don't give to Caesar what does not belong to Caesar. And I think that's so important, especially when we see a government like ours, uh, as I point out here, you know, they, they make a mockery of divorce by, you know, this is Reagan, a no-fault divorce, or uh, how they have now through the Supreme Court redefined marriage of between a man and a woman between uh, two gay people. And really, and when I teach this to the kids, eventually it'll come to, I have to explain what a thruple is, and I explain how there's people that want to get married to their dog, married to uh, their chandelier, and they, they laugh, and it is kind of funny, but, I, but what's happened is our government have made a mockery of God's sixth commandment. They've taken something that does not, that does not belong to them, marriage, and it belongs to God. Or uh, how people are now killing each other. Uh, you know, Canada with the MAID program has happened on, on the coast. And it'll come to us in the Midwest here, too, of the euthanasia, of euthanasia and then also with abortion. Mm -hmm. And that's they're taking life that does not belong to them, creating laws to make it legal. That doesn't make it uh, holy or right. Again, they are uh, breaking the fifth commandment then. Uh, and so on all these ways, they're doing things that don't belong to them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and even, um, even going back to the Obergefell decision, which, which was like 2015 legalized um, 
gay marriage across the country, according to a court order. And even in that discussion, that there's a purposeful deserting of um, natural reason. Um, you know, I, we, we could talk about that maybe, maybe in another one, but it was kind of interesting that at the time it was framed as a civil right. And, and that, well, well, we'll save most of that conversation for another time. But the thing that, that bothers me the most is that so many of these social ills, um, social sins that we see visibly and, and sins that encroach upon um, you know, God's institution, God's estate of marriage and family, um, they, they show up visibly as sins against the fifth commandment and the sixth commandment. Um, fifth command about ending life before before a person is born. Um, sixth and fifth commandment ending a life when they feel like it's their time to check out. Um, sixth commandment, all the different ways. But what it gets down to is a fourth commandment issue that you can just put it on repeat. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. And therefore, you know, God is the one who designed you. God is the one. You know, the Son of God is the one who has redeemed you from sin, death, and the devil. And now we as Christians want to live our lives in a way that honors him. And, you know, how many Christians just say, you know, that sounds like a lot of work and I'd rather, you know, you're not your own, you're bought at a price, your children belong to you. And it's, and that those kids, um, that the government wants to say, well, don't worry, you know, mom and dad, we'll make sure that they get fed all through the summer, breakfast, lunch, dinner, after school program during the year. Um, but the Christian who says you're not your own, you're bought at a price says, you know what, even if it is a hardship on me, this is my responsibility because these children belong to me and that Caesar does not and should not have access to what is not his. Right. And for those who are listening to the podcast, need to listen very carefully to the words of our government leaders uh, and what is behind those words. You know, President Biden said a month or so ago, uh, he said, these are not your kids. These are our kids. These are our nation's kids. And that's and what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. terrifying when you put it like that, um, that, that Mrs. Clinton was the, the first one to really, well, she popularized the term that it takes a village to raise a child. It doesn't, it doesn't actually take a village to raise a child. It takes a mom and dad who are committed to raising that child. Um, but the, the, the mindset that, you know, now 30 years ago, um, somebody says publicly and makes a children's book about it, that it takes a village to raise a child. Now an entire generation who had been raised with that idea are now raising their children. And they're like, man, how, how does anybody do this on their own? I need a village. And it's, all, it's just the next logical step to say, all right, these actually are, are children that belong to our society, to our village, right. to our community. Yeah. And to pick up what you were saying before, too, and I like it, is I think we're oftentimes very quick to go to the commandments. But when you were talking about that we were bought at a price, that's a second article uh, of, the, of the Apostles' Creed, that's a second article issue, that we are God's blood-bought children, and that's an individual thing. Uh, and, and with this chapter, too, we'll talk on it a little bit more later, but this is beginning to look at the, the teaching of the two kingdoms, of God's left-hand kingdom of this world and the govern, governing authorities and so forth, and the right-hand kingdom of the spiritual kingdom. And... Uh, what's interesting is that 
our seminary has a symposium this September on the doctrine of the two kingdoms. And did I message. Did they ask you to, you know, write write a paper, read a couple they of did, chapters? They did not. In fact, I had I had someone just message me the other day. Uh, she said that her husband had gotten the the postcard in the mail, and then she said, "I was surprised that you weren't one of the speakers." And I said, uh, "LOL." Uh, they asked me to. But they also said that I couldn't have any Star Wars or any other movie or TV references, so I politely declined. I'll just go to the the microphone and talk about my book a lot. Yeah, so, yeah I was being facetious. Uh, but one of the things when I gave the when I gave the the first five chapters at our pastors' conference, uh, the very first comment was from a pastor saying. You're confusing the two kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I had a good answer then, but I put that, that, uh, that quote in the book. I didn't attribute it to anyone. And what I'm wondering is, are those, are those pastors and people in the pews who listen to the left-hand kingdom and close down their churches, were they the ones who were confusing the two kingdoms? Because they were giving authority to the left-hand kingdom that does not belong to the left-hand kingdom. That goes back mm -hmm. to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And, if, and the churches, uh, and this is part of the First Amendment, the churches do not belong to the government. They belong to God and his people. And we allowed the left-hand kingdom to shut down for a time, the right-hand kingdom. And, and that's the, that's the frustrating part. It's um, what, what I would call that mushy middle. Um, if you've listened through, you know, half hour of any of my sermons, <laughs> <laughs> yep. then, then I kind of mentioned that once or twice. It's that mushy middle where we want to say, you know, I need to do, action X because, because my government said this, um, it wants to say, I am doing, you know, from, from your example, I'm closing down our church because our government said so. Well, if you're going to operate according to the left-hand kingdom and the, the influence of the government, then why don't you at least understand what the government says? First of all, um, that if somebody has unquestioned obedience to say, I'm going to shut down my, my church and we're not going to meet whenever our governor says so for as long as our governor says, then why don't you, if you're going to operate by their rules, then read their rule book. You know, read the Constitution and peruse a couple, um, you know, scotusblog.com. There's our plug for today. Yeah. Um, peruse that or, you know, read through the, the Federalist Papers or at least, you know, some of the, the major references that both sides and judges of, of every political stripe have referred to. Um, but it's that mushy middle that says, I don't want to think about this on the religious side and I don't want to investigate this on the political governmental side. I just want to do what's, what is the path of least resistance. And it's that unconsidered Christianity and unconsidered citizenship that is, um, unconscionable. Right. And, and I think that, uh, what you're getting at here is what I talk about in page 20 is that Christians then are disengaging from uh, from the government and culture and then they are not fulfilling their their vocation as christian citizens they're kind of saying like you were saying is just i don't want to make those decisions i'll let the government make those decisions for me and then you're again giving authority to governing authorities that do not belong to them 
Yeah. And, and not to harp too much on our culture and, you know, bellyache about these things, but on the other hand, you know, I could probably, um, you could probably name your starting lineup of your favorite team. You know, you probably know who, you know, the, the top contenders for the green Bay Packers quarterback is. Um, but to what degree do we know, you know, not anymore, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> See, but to what extent do we actually understand, um, and want to put that same sort of thought into our citizenship and our responsibility as Christians. Like we'll know everything about. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a soapbox. I'll stop there. (laughs) What I, what I challenge too in, in this is that uh, I, I heard this from pastors about the mixing of the two kingdoms. And I think it's very easy for you and I and other pastors, Peter, to just live in oftentimes the right hand kingdom because we're sitting in our office, we're on our computers, we're in the word, uh, we're in their hymnals and so forth. And we're in the right hand kingdom, not having to deal too much with the left hand kingdom until we leave the office, get in our vehicle and come home. Get on our, but our people to whom we minister to, they're constantly living in both kingdoms at the same time. And, I think what's what's happened, and this is what I want to look, what I'm very interested in with the papers at the symposium on the two kingdoms, is to hear uh, the the people that are speaking if they're going to be talking about the separation of the two kingdoms. And I have to do some more studying on this, but I think Luther doesn't really talk about the separation of the two kingdoms. He talks about the distinction mm-hmm. of the two kingdoms. And what I think is we have. Uh, artificially separated the two kingdoms. So you go from one to the other and you can step from one to the other, as opposed to, no, we are as Christian citizens, we're living in both at the same time. I would agree 100%. And, you know, the counter argument would say, you know, Luther had no concept of a separation because there was no such thing as a separation where you have Lutheran princes and in some territories and Catholic princes in other territories, and they all elect the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, but but then on the back on the other hand, <laughs> that idea of a wall of separation between the two is is not from Scripture. It is from a, I think it's from a Supreme Court brief or maybe one of the early writings of Thomas Jefferson or somebody like that. I'd have to look that up. But um, that idea of a complete separation is only on, you know, for a a legal thing. Um, When we're talking about the application of the first commandment within our American context. And, (laughs) but it's such a, a simple and simplistic idea that Christians have glommed onto it. And they say, well, if I'm totally separated, then I'm going to go be a Christian at church. And then um, my politics can be my politics. And maybe we'll talk about politics at church, but because they are separated um, is the Christian mindset. Then the politics can be as extreme as they want to the left to the right, anywhere in the middle. And it doesn't affect my Christian attitude at all. And so there that's going to be one of the questions I'm going to be asking the pastors when I'm asked to speak at circuits and conferences and so forth is uh, if they can be political, because I've heard it many times from pastors, from synod officials, from seminary professors and so forth, that we should not be political. But my question then is going to be, what is 
political because everything in our nation is political. And if you say, well, you can't be political, then you're really, again, cutting out our vocation as Christian citizens from, from the pastors and the people. Now, what I'm going to challenge is, yeah, I don't think it's right or beneficial for you or I in the pulpit to say, hey, uh, I think you should vote for DeSantis or Trump or Biden or Harris or whomever. You know, that would be too much. But I think it is beneficial for us in the pulpit, especially in a Bible study in small groups and so forth, to talk about policies because the policies are really morality and morality is really scriptural. And so we should be applying the scripture to these fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh commandment issues that we've been discussing here. And and that other mindset together with it, that there is benefit for the Christians and for the country at large when government's laws uh, reflect God's law. Not that we enforce Christian nationalism, that, you know, that is that is a, a thing that we want to avoid. Um, but on the basis of human reason and natural law, we can make a rational argument to say, yes, um, we should have this particular law in place because it, it provides a, a result for evil action and it helps to curb sinful behavior. And that, you know, we don't need to multiply law upon law upon law throughout our country. Um, but at the same time, we do we do benefit and the country at large benefits when by and large its laws reflect God's moral law and that, you know, nothing good happens when, when that doesn't happen. So as we begin wrapping this podcast up, I I needed to quote uh, a portion of the book here because we haven't really talked any geeky stuff here. So uh, what I say, (laughs) we can talk more constitutional stuff. We can talk that all day. Well, that's a different kind of geeky stuff. That's your kind of geeky stuff. Uh, there, you know, if we're always having to obey Caesar no matter what, well, then uh, we should be rooting for the Empire in all the Star Wars movies. Then Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, the uh, Wookiees and Ewoks and so forth, and they are all the bad guys and the Emperor... Uh, Darth Vader, the stormtroopers, those are all the good guys. Mm-hmm. So, and then another thing too, as we're talking about the two kingdoms is uh, what I write on page 26 at the end of the chapter. Uh, we dare not separate the two kingdoms as though we are merely Christians who happen to be citizens or citizens who happen to be Christians. We are people whose primary king is Christ, whose primary kingdom is heaven, and whose Christian faith is exercised publicly within the kingdom of the air where Satan has his little day. And so, you know, wrapping up this, uh, this first chapter in our discussion is we as people need to pray to properly understand and then apply accurately God's call to submit. And then we also need to pray for quiet and peaceful lives of submitting to governing authorities who submit to God's authority. This is going to be difficult things to do, but that's why we have to have the discussion. And then next week, uh, when we have the podcast, we're going to be discussing Revelation chapter 13, the beast out of the sea. Uh, So I want to wrap this up then with a book review. 
from Amazon from Carl. Uh, he titles it A Solid and Doctrinal Work on the Two Kingdoms. This book started as a theological paper for pastors, and that is its only fault. It can assume at times too much knowledge from the reader. Other than that, it's a very good treatise on two kingdoms doctrine and how far one may obey the state if and when it comes in contact with the church. It also carefully delineates the difference between righteous resistance and sinful rebellion. It is well worth the small effort. So I thank Carl for that review. And then uh, wrapping this up too is just a reminder that neither Pastor Hagen nor I are speaking for our churches or our church body, probably not even speaking for our families. <laughs> uh, we're just two guys that are speaking off the cuff. And so we may say things that are wrong, uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's all about the discussion. And we encourage you to uh, like, subscribe, share, comment, send emails. Uh, if you're, they're positive emails, send them to me. If they're negative emails, send them to Pastor Hagen. And then we look forward to talking about Revelation chapter 13 at the next podcast. What's a good email address for um, content emails related to this book for you? Uh, training. Uh, well, no, that's the wrong one. It is resisting the dragon's beast at gmail.com. Excellent. Easy to remember. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you.